0: Praise the Lord, everyone. Isn't it good to be in camp this morning? How many had a good night's sleep? Yeah, me neither. He sets the example in the church. Amen. So very good. Very good. Well, I hope the Lord will help us today. Um, uh, it's, uh, I have something that I want to preach on that I hope it will be a blessing to you and a strength to you. If you have a Proverbs 7. You say amen. a listing of those people that had the greatest influence on the world, positive influence, the ones that had shaped our lives, that had made modern society in the modern world the way that it is. So it was an interesting book. I I still pick it up and read it every once in a while, thumb through it, and uh, it started, rightfully so, with Jesus Christ. He was not a Christian. He was not religious. But he had to acknowledge that of all men that have ever lived, Jesus Christ has had the most positive, most pervasive influence in the world. In the areas of the world that did not have a Judeo-Christian background, such as China, Japan, much of, matter of fact, most of the world, India, still, Jesus Christ is that name that is most recognized. The story of the cross is the most famous story in the world, even in those parts of the world where they do not believe in Jesus. And so he had to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the one that has exercised the most influence on modern society even after the passage of 2,000 years. I thought he was right. I still do. And then he went on, and of course, most of the most influential people were religious leaders because... Their influence doesn't die with them. And he put in this list, of course, Moses and Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius, uh, leaders of religions that are still practiced today. And, uh, of course, we're very familiar with the religion of Muhammad. It's called Islam. And so he was going down the list. And uh, right at the top of the list was a man that I want to talk about today. One of my heroes, one uh, a man that I love to read about. His name was Newton. Isaac Newton. And he had to be one of the great geniuses to have ever lived. He had to be one of the smartest people to have ever graced this planet. He was a genius beyond compare, as far as I'm concerned. A brilliant. read about her a while back. Her name was Helen Keller. we got, uh, we got three hours here today. So. Let, me, let me tell you a little bit about Helen Keller. This little girl was born around the turn of the century. And when she was a toddler, I think she was two, she contracted some childhood disease that left her blind and deaf. Blind and deaf. She lived, Brother McCoy, in this dark, silent world. Her only sensation was a little smell, but touch. The only way that she could know where she was at was by touch. She couldn't see, she couldn't hear, and the family could not communicate with her because the normal channels of communication were forever closed. She was blind and she was deaf. If you're just blind, you can talk to someone and communicate. If you're you're deaf but can see, you can still communicate sign language. We had a lady last night doing sign language for folks. She's there today that, that cannot hear, but there's still an avenue, a channel of communication. But if you lack both of them, how do you get started? How do you make the breakthrough of communicating with someone that can neither hear nor see? And for years, nobody did make a breakthrough. They finally hired a woman by the name of Sullivan. I'm not making this story up It's a great story. If you've never read about Helen Keller, you need to. And this woman had the patience and the intelligence herself to know how to communicate with this little girl. When she was about 10, Mrs. Sullivan noticed that Helen Keller loved to go out into the yard and turn the water sticket on. Hold her hand under that cold water coming out of the faucet. And she liked the sensation of it. She couldn't hear it. She couldn't see it. But she could feel it. And that cold water running on her hand, she she enjoyed that. And Ann Sullivan had this brilliant idea. She went out into the yard and she put her fingers in Helen Keller's open palm and she symboled Through sign language of water, W A T E R. And, and, excuse me, Helen Keller was smart enough, and she was a genius. She was a genius. It dawned on her that she's trying to communicate with me through these movements on my hand. This is a way of talking to me. The light went on, so to speak, the barrier was broken. All about Helen Keller. And it was Helen Keller's genius. It was Ann Sullivan's patience, but it was Helen Keller's intelligence to see she's communicating with me. She's giving me this symbolism of water that will allow me to talk back. Even when we're not around water, all I've got to do is make these shapes and she'll know I'm talking about water. A breakthrough in communication. I heard Brother Dallas preach on this one time, and if you haven't, you need to. It was one of the best Bible studies I've ever heard. It's what caused me to read the book. And, and, and so Helen, when, it, when the barrier was broken, she went over to her little doll and picked it up and, and, and saw them symbol D-O-L-L in her hand. And it dawned on her. It, 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 the breakthrough was made. And she went to a tree, and they symbolized tree in her hand. And so she was able to begin communication. And before it was over, of course, she was able to communicate all of her thoughts Similar, but she wasn't happy with just that. She wanted to speak. And she had the vocal cords, but you know, when you never hear words, you don't know how to say the words. If you've never heard dog, you don't know how to say dog. And so, Helen Keller, now this, this is the part that I have trouble believing. This is the part that when I read this, I said, no. That can't be. She asked her teacher to teach her how to speak. And she had the ability to speak, but because she never heard the words, she didn't know what to say, what sounds to make, to say dog. And so Ann Sullivan put Helen Keller's fingers on her vocal cords. I'm not making this up. And she said, dog. And Helen Keller put her, put her hands on Ann Sullivan's vocal cords and she put her hand on her own And she tried to duplicate those vibrations. She she tried to duplicate. And in time, she was able to make the sound through her vocal cords, dog. And when she said it right, Ann Sullivan said that's right. And she had a word in her vocabulary. And she learned to speak by feeling the the vibrations in Ann Sullivan's vocal cords. And in time, she became a public speaker. She spoke in colleges, universities, commencement services. That boggles my mind that somebody could advance that far in this dark, silent world that she lived in. It's amazing. So she was on the list, and she should have been. So I just threw that in for free. Hallelujah. You don't have to pay for that. But uh, there's some smart folks in the world. And it also teaches that if you want something bad enough, you can pretty well get it you can come from a bad background still live for God. You can have problems at home and live for God. If Helen Keller can learn how to speak, you can learn how to live for God. Amen. So, this, this man, Isaac Newton, he was born in 1633, I believe, in southern England. And when he was born, he was a little baby. And infant mortality was high in those days, like 25 or 30 percent of the babies died before they were five years old. And when he was born, he was very frail and sickly. And the doctor told his mother he ain't gonna make it. He'll be dead in a few days. But Isaac Newton fooled him. He lived into his 80s. He survived uh, when a lot of folks thought he was gonna die. And he lived long enough to get into school. And uh, he didn't do well in school, like most geniuses. He did not operate well in the structured environment of the classroom. And uh, he, but he did good enough. He got out of high school. He had a rich uncle that sent him to Oxford University, Oxford or Cambridge. I think it was Oxford, and he went there. and He didn't do good in most of the subjects, but in mathematics he did real well. And uh, when he graduated from Oxford, they offered him the Lucasian Chair of Mathematics, and there he stayed for the rest of his life. He stayed at the university, and uh, wasn't much of a teacher. They taught him for his, they, they paid him for his studies into the sciences, and he, he was a funny little guy. Like most geniuses, he was eccentric. and the higher your IQ, the more eccentric you are, generally, and uh, he was a funny little guy, and he never married. One time, he asked him. Said with you, and turned around and walked off. He never asked another. You girls think it's tough to get a girl. You ought to be a guy sometime and have somebody, somebody turn you down flat. That's not much of an enjoyment. That's not a good day either. So anyway, he got turned down flat, and uh, he never asked another girl out. That almost happened to me. That's another story for another time. Anyway, uh, he stayed there, and his little, his little, Apartment, his little uh, place of study. And he from that foot of earth, he moved the world. From that foot of earth there at Oxford University, he changed every person's life on earth, including yours. And that was five, four hundred years ago. But he made he made discoveries that affected our world like no other man that's ever lived, at least in the sciences. Now, he was not a religious man. This isn't a religion. But in the sciences and in mathematics, he was a genius like nobody else that's ever lived. he, He discovered, for example, the laws of motion. Now, we all, they were aware that these forces existed, but nobody had formulated them. Nobody gave us a textbook representation of it that you could use in in building and in making machines and other uh, places where the laws of motion are important. He discovered, for example, that for every action there's an opposite and equal reaction. If there's force that goes that way, there's force that goes that way too. If you've ever shot a gun, you haven't come into contact with the law of action action and reaction. You shoot the gun and it's going to shoot. It's gonna jolt you. It's strong enough, big enough gun. And the stronger the gun, the stronger the recoil. That's just there's no way of getting around that. That's just the way it's gonna be. Many years ago I bought a 308 Norma. If you're not into the guns, I, it was an elk rifle and I shot a couple of elk with it. It was a good gun and uh, but it kicked. Alright? When you shot that gun, you didn't have to take the the bullet out of the, the shell out of the that it had fired. You knew it had fired. It would chit your teeth. If you think I'm joking, you shoot one one time. Uh, when you aimed through that gun, you took your sight and then you pulled your face back away from the scope. If you didn't, you're going to have a little scar in the middle of your forehead. Where that scope got you because that gun would hit it. That was an example of action and reaction. Then he discovered the laws of inertia. Of course, you know, there's spiritual, social applications to this. For every action that you take, there can be a reaction. I had a boy in my church one time. Where's sister... Keep quiet about this. Don't tell anybody what I'm saying. girl goes to the church. You know. But this boy was pretty rough on everybody. He did not mind telling you off. He spared me, but he got pretty well everybody else. He was, he was rough. And in time, he fell in love with the last girl in the church. And so I had the pleasure of calling him in the office and saying, hey, not you do something for me? He said, okay, what is it? So I said, I want you to tell your girlfriend that she's fat and ugly, and you hate her. You never want to see her again. So, well, "I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt her feelings." I said, "Well, everybody's got feelings. You don't mind telling everybody else, but when somebody you like, you won't spare them. You need to spare everybody because one of these days, these people you're telling off are going to get you get even with you for every action. There's going to be a reaction. So you've got to be nice to folks because. That can be just that mean to you, and if it's girls, they'll go, they it'll be worse. Oh yeah, he asked my daughter out to a sweetheart bank one time in our church, she said no. I said, Why'd you say no? Because he's mean to me. Fine, then tell him no. Hallelujah. Nervous, amen. And so he also taught on uh, the law of inertia. He discovered the law of inertia. And that's the law that dictates that when something is going a certain direction, it wants to keep going. Something has to, some force has to be applied to this object. Once it's put in motion, am I boring you on this? Well, just stick with me if I am, because we'll be doing it a little while. But once something gets going in a certain direction, there has to be a force applied to it or it will never change direction. If you're driving down the road and you come to a curb, that's why when you turn, the car wants to keep going straight. That's the laws of, of inertia. And if you, don't have, if you have friction coefficient in the tires to allow you to go around the corner, you make it. But if you're going too fast, you will go straight. Because of the laws of inertia. You know, that's why you've got to be careful in which direction you go. Because it's hard to change directions sometimes. Many times it takes the hand of God to change your direction. Or you just keep going right off the cliff. If God doesn't help us many times, we're not going to make it. Because we get going in a certain direction and it's tough to stop. So, anyway, he discovered all these things. He also, one time, he put black paper on the inside of his room, his studio, and uh, and uh, and so it was completely resistant to light. It was inky black in this room. And then he cut a little hole in the paper that covered the windows, and it allowed a beam of light to shine in. Not making this up, this happened, according to the books at least. I wasn't there. Uh, Not that old. And he set up a little table and he put a piece of white paper up and in front of it he put a prism. And he set it in such a manner that the light beam would shine through the prism. And when light goes through a prism it bends slightly. The light angle changes. And when that light bends all the, you know, light is made of, all that light coming out of lights up there has all these different colors in them. But your eye can't see it. Your eye is not constructed in such a manner that you can differentiate. So it all looks like white light to us. But there's reds and greens and blues and yellows and all that light. We just can't see it. But when that light shone through that prism and it bent, all the light waves that were of the same length bent the same amount. That makes sense. The little short light waves had a lot of energy. They were at the high end because it's harder to bend them than it was. The long ones, the reds and infrareds, were down at the other end of the spectrum. The rainbow is exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. He created a spectrum in his little laboratory. It dawned on him that light's made up of all these little colors. And to this day, in the field of astronomy, this is one of their fundamental Techniques for determining the nature of light is that spectrogram that was invented by Isaac Newton a long time ago in Oxford University, and he, he discovered the nature of light. He discovered the nature of light. And uh, and I'll, I'll try to cut this short because I can go on a long time. He he invented he invented the mathematical discipline of integrated and differential calculus. I don't even know what that is, but he invented it. Math was not my strong point in school. I didn't have any, but that certainly wasn't it. And uh, he invented it. It didn't exist, so he made it. He was smart, okay? He was smart. But his greatest discovery, what I want to talk about, is in 1867, he wrote a book called Principia Mathematica, and in it he he gave us the theory of gravity, not the theory, the, the fact of gravity. He discovered, now listen, just with me for a little while, he discovered that everything that has mass, everything that's made up of atoms and molecules, stuff, has gravity. This pin that I'm holding in my hand is pulling me toward it. Now, the the amount that it has the ability to pull is so small that I can't feel it, and I don't know that it can be measured, but it's made of mass, so it's pulling me. But I'm made of mass too, so I'm pulling back. But everything, the chair you're sitting on, is pulling you toward it. I could see that last night in church. Some folks couldn't get out too. But anyway, everything has mass. Everything has mass. That you can feel, and everything that has mass also has gravity. Now, we normally think of gravity as only existing in the heavenly bodies, like the earth and the sun and the moon. And the moon. No, everything has gravitational field. Now, we usually can't feel it because the mass is not sufficient. But, I guess the thing that we feel the greatest, of course, is the earth. We're living on the surface of a ball about 7,500 miles in diameter. God only knows what it weighs, how much mass is in the earth, but it's sufficient that its gravitational field pulls us down. I've got good news for you today. You don't weigh anything As you get over, gravity seems to get stronger, I know. As you get my age, you look in the mirror and see the effects of gravity, too. Oh, that's what it is. And if the mass is sufficient, you can feel the gravity. Several years ago, at in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, they hung a 20,000-pound ball of steel in the science laboratory, 20,000 pounds, and right next to it, they hung a shot put from their sports department, they hung a shot put, weighed 16 pounds, and then they measured, was this shot put hanging perfectly perfect straight, or was it skewed just a little by this 20,000 pound ball of steel it went to, and they found that it was, it was pulled a little it was a little out of the perpendicular because of the gravity of this 20000 pound ball that was right next to it. So gravity is real. It does exist. There's no doubt. Uh, we're not but this is not a biblical issue. You know, God made gravity. If you want to know it made it, God did. So it's one of God's greats When he made the world, he made gravity. Hallelujah. And and this force is such that the greater The formula is F equals mass divided by distance squared. If you like mathematics, there you go. The force is computed by measuring the mass by the distance squared. And we're always going to live with this. Everybody with me today? We're living in a world of gravity. If gravity did not exist on the earth, you could do that and you would just sail right off into outer space. Water wouldn't run downhill. We've all seen pictures of the space guys out in space. and, and they, they, they have trouble drinking. They have trouble eating. Uh, because they're in a in a weightless environment. And uh, it may sound good, but it's really not. Because gravity, for well, one thing, is what keeps you strong. When those spacemen come back from the space stations and they're out there for months... Many times they're so weak they have to be helped to walk because the resistance of gravity has been absent in their life and their muscles atrophy. trophy. They get weak because there was no resistance. Sometimes resistance keeps you strong. Sometimes resistance keeps you strong. I went to church with a woman and you did too in Bakersfield that had a husband that beat the soup out of her. I have seen her come to church with black eyes And alone she lived with that devil. She was shot for victory. Live for God's mind. As soon as he divorced for another woman before it's over, she backslid. Sometimes gravity keeps you strong. Sometimes resistance is what helps you. And so, let, let me just throw this in, too. You know, the astronauts in these space stations are only 100 miles above the Earth. That's in gravitational terms, that's nothing. And yet, they're weightless. Why are they able to float around this station spaceship only 100 miles off the surface of the earth? They shouldn't be feeling gravity up there, just like everybody else, but they don't. And the reason is this, because they're in orbit. That means that they're going around 18,000 miles an hour. Everybody with me? Anybody's eyes blazing over yet? I'm about through with this. Hallelujah. We're going to shout and run around church. But in orbit, to reach orbital velocity, you have to go around 18,000 miles an hour. They go go into space to do this because if they were in the atmosphere, they'd burn up the friction from the air. They have to get up in a frictionless environment to go that fast. They get up there to go 18,000 miles an hour. And what they're doing is they're going out so fast that they're actually in free fall. They just never hit them the surface. They're falling off the edge of the earth. Does that make any sense to you? They're going so fast that way that they just never hit the ground. That's why they're weightless. Otherwise, they feel feel the gravity. They're only 100 miles away. Uh, The gravity of the earth is what holds the moon in its orbit. And that's 250,000 miles away. So gravity is still there, but they're going so fast. Look, just Interesting, I thought I'd throw that in. So, we deal with gravity. And the formula is that the force is the amount of mass divided by the distance. Now, I want to go I'm through with the science. Hallelujah. Until tomorrow, at least. Amen. I now I want to get into the world of the spirit of the church. I started living with God when I was 14 years old. July the 23rd, 1961. Got the Holy Ghost in the Burbo Beans revival in Bakersfield, California. It was a big revival and a great one. And uh, the effects of that revival are with California to this day. Probably a lot of other places too. But uh, I think there's about a 100 got the Holy Ghost in that revival. And, and uh, the Bakersfield Church, I'll tell you this, was forever transformed by that revival. It was never the same. Revivals are great things. Amen. And uh, and so I got the Holy Ghost started living for God that summer. Started high school in September. And in trying to live for God, I, I made the discovery that some things have no mass with me. I live right next door to a bowling alley. My church is 200 yards, maybe 300 from a bowling alley. And I go by that bowling alley several times a day. And I never even glance. Never crosses my mind to stop and go in. Maybe I can sneak around, nobody catch me. Never crosses my mind to go in there and bowl. It has no mass. It has no pull. There's no gravity from that. And so I don't have to worry about it. Either. Somebody said, let's go bowling. i you, out of your mind. Didn't even know God. I wouldn't want to do that. No no match, no pull. My dad started smoking when he was in West Texas. I guess there's nothing else to do in West Texas. He started smoking when he was about eight years old. He'd, he'd go out on the highway and find cigarette butts. Bring them home and cut them open and get the tobacco and roll his own. And, I mean, he started smoking. and He smoked all through his teenage years. Smoked in the Army when he got in the Army. Smoked. Uh, I, I remember riding in the truck cab with my dad, choking him over cigarette smoke. If I die of lung cancer, it'll be his fault, bless God, because I was exposed to secondhand smoke. I detested the habit then. I detest it now. Amen. I walked on that boardwalk over there along the ocean, went on a little walk yesterday, and I walked by a man smoking, and that's the first time I smelled that smell in a long time. And I didn't like it then, and I still don't like it. Nasty. Nasty habit. But my dad got hooked on this. And he played through in Brother Herbal Beans' revival in 1967 at Bakersfield. And uh, he started trying to live for God. And my dad was never a strong man personality. Uh, I'm a lot like him. I'm very kind and nice and easygoing, and everybody likes me. I'm not like my mom at all, who was pretty aggressive and strong-willed, but, you know, not like her at all. And, uh, and my dad had trouble with cigarettes. Trouble with cigarettes. And uh, I won't guarantee that he ever told him on the victory. I won't guarantee that. But let me tell you what I will. I will guarantee. One time I caught him smoking. And I went to Brother Terry. I was about 18. And I said, Brother Terry, I, I need to tell you that I, my dad still having trouble with cigarettes. And Brother Terry gave me a little bit of wisdom that I've never forgotten. He said, well, we don't like smoking, and it's a filthiness of the flesh, and we don't do it. we not going to start doing it, but we don't have a lot of scripture for that. We just recognize that it's something we shouldn't do. We shouldn't harm the temple of the Holy Ghost, and I know the scriptures too. I, I know what's used But he said, you know, Ray, he said, don't, don't let our way of life distort your viewpoint on things. I'm going to face God in judgment with a package of cigarettes in my pocket as not paying my tithes. We got a lot of scripture for tithes. And, and you know, if, if my church found out your dad was smoking, they'd think he'd backslid, but I got people who don't pay tithes all over the building and nobody thinks a thing about it. So you got to keep your balance in living for God. You've got to keep your balance. It's easy for us to see some things that are just tear up all and then give other things that are worse a free pass. Oh. Hey, oh. So Brother Terry got up and he stole smoking. I hope my dad got the victory, but you know, cigarettes have never been my problem, as you can probably tell. I can carry a pack around with me at all times. And the only thing that would happen is it would just get worn out. About every two or three years I'd have to get another pack because it's all frayed and coming apart. I'd never touch it. I'd never touch them. They have no gravity. They have no pull to me. There's nothing about them that I like. You know, the only beer I drank was when I was right before I got to church. My dad let me have a few sips. And that was the nastiest stuff I ever put in my mouth. Right, right. It is nasty. You like it, you need your head examined. Something wrong with you. Nasty stuff. I could have a six-pack in my refrigerator right now, and it would never be touched. No gravity. No pull. Are you with me on this? No mass there. But there's been some things come in my life that I will admit I had to work on. There's some things that did have a little pull, brother. You know what I'm talking about? There, was things, open, there were some things that weren't boiling and one cigarette. There's a lot of things that have no pull, but there's other things that did have a pull, and that's the one I had to worry about. The Bible speaks of that sin which does so easily beset you. And it's not the same for everybody, but everybody has to bow. Everybody's good. God's going to send some fire into. You have to learn what your weaknesses are and deal with the weaknesses. Man, I can get tough on smokers. You reprobate, you know, but you know. But there's other things that you know I had trouble with. But, you know, let's take a little a little slack here. You know, everybody with me today? There's things that I had, that I, tr- I had trouble with, and those were the things that I had to. Struggle to overcome. I love sports. I love to play basketball. Brother Phil White here today. Where are you at, brother? You know, brother, if we as younger, I think we could still handle these boys. You don't think they invented basketball last week, do you? Love playing sports. Love playing basketball. I don't remember, I remember me and Brother Phil White meeting somewhere in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We spoke both evangelists. Have a game. You remember that, brother? I think I won, didn't I? You? Yeah. We'll see about that after church out do. you? I don't see how I could possibly lose somebody that short, but maybe so. Loved it. And I learned early, Brother McCoy, that I have to learn how to control sports. Or it would have Let me tell you what I found out, and that's what I this will save you. This will keep you away from temptation if you'll listen to me. I got i got at least a while to go. Hallelujah. This will save you if you'll listen. Force is a creation of mass times the distance squared. You can't control the mass. You can't change the mass. What you like, you like. What attracts you, attracts you. That place in your life that you're weak in, you'll probably always be weak there. I'm not going to tell you ever, there was ever a day when I had told complete to complete no, but the other part of the equation is distance. Distance. When you can't control the mass, you can always control the distance. What you can't control what you like, you can always see good in your life that you get away from it. And you'd be surprised how much easier it is to live for God when you don't rub shoulders with your weakness every day. Amen. I'm not going to tell you I I like sports today. To this day, I enjoy it, especially those ones that I played. I enjoy them. And I still would if I could. I just can't have a right knee that barely lets me walk. And that's a product of basketball, by the way. I my ACL. I was evangelized and I couldn't go to the doctor, so I preached with a cane for six months. And what's unique about this distance deal is that it's distance squared. A little two up there. That means that if you get twice as far away from somebody, something, you don't cut the distance, you don't cut the pull in half, you cut it by three-fourths. It's a four-to-one ratio. If you get twice as close to an object of gravity, you don't double the gravity, you make it four times as bad. So distance is critical. Distance is critical. I love sports. I live in a sports-crazy town. Within a few miles of my house is a stadium where the Phoenix, the Arizona Cardinals play football. I like football. A few miles further, you come to the basketball arena where the Phoenix Suns play. And just a little right across the street from that is where the baseball team plays, the Diamondbacks. They were world champion a few years ago. I've never been in those stadiums. Except for graduation or a political rally. I heard George Bush speak one time. Well, he's looking better all the time, isn't he? Anyway, uh, only time I've ever been there. You know, when they're having the game and the Phoenix Suns are playing, I don't drive slowly by. And, and just kind of let my mouth water. I stay away. I stay away. I you know, the way to have the victory is stay away from that, which is your problem. The way to win the victory is to not have anything to do with it. Amen. I won't go by. I won't hang around. I don't even read about them because I don't want it to get a hold of me. I've learned the virtue of distance. 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 If you had someone drugs, don't leave a little dr- stuff around you. Get it out the door. Flush it down the toilet. If you leave it around when you're weak, There might be that little voice saying how good it was. So just get it out of the house. People that leave ungodly attire in the closet after they come to the church, well, one of these days go back. They didn't clean the house. They didn't make the environment clean. If you have trouble with what you wear, get it out of there. Give it to the Salvation Army. Burn it in the trash. If you leave it around, it'll be a weakness to you. You want to overcome all temptation? This is the key. Get away from it. away from it. If you can't stay away from TV, don't go over to Grandma's house so you can watch it. Having trouble with TV? Don't get around it. God help you if you're having trouble with the internet and a little porno. Let me tell you how to do that. Take your internet out in the backyard and shoot it with a shotgun. Get it away from you. If it's hanging around, it'll get you. If it's hanging around, it'll be there. You want, to, you want to have victory? You want to, you want to live for God, and do what's right. You want to, you want to be an overcomer. You want to hear a go well done one day. Let me tell you, just stay away. Stay without now. This we're not shouting today. That's okay. This is this is what will save you if you'll listen. Get away from those things. Get away from it. Away. If you girls have trouble with makeup. That little purse you know you keep in the closet that mom don't know about. You got a little cosmetics in there. Throw it away. If it's sitting there, it'll be a temptation. It'll be a temptation. You overcome by getting away. And the farther you get from it, the less pull it'll have. The farther you get away from it, the less pull it'll have. So I just can't stay away from TV. Then don't go to Walmart to the TV section. That's how you get victory. You stay away. I'm not going to tell you there's never going to be a pull. I'm not going to tell you that, but I can tell you how you can overcome the pull. You just make it so far away you don't feel it anymore. <laughs> David said one time that I want to be perfect. I want to live in my house with a perfect heart. What a noble. I wish I could be perfect. I wish I could. Perfect. He said, alright, since I have this desire to be perfect, the first thing I'm going to do is I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. So what it says? I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. You can't participate and consume be involved with wickedness and be perfect. You can't sit down and watch Hollywood and come to church and be right. It can't be done. You know, this is the way I see it. I think this is a heaven or hell issue. I don't think that you can participate, watch, view Hollywood and be saved. It's a heaven or hell issue. I think you will be lost. It's my judgment as a minister. I'm willing to face God with this judgment. I'm gonna to have to, whether I like it or not, but it's my judgment. If that you continually habitually watch television, you're going to go. My son, keep my words, and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments, and live in my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house I look through the casement. And I beheld among the simple ones and I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner and he went the way to her house. His problem wasn't the woman. The problem was he went down the street. The problem wasn't that harlot down there that was going to meet her meeting with her soft words and her perfume and her Enticing ways. That wasn't the problem. The problem was he went down the street. You want victory? Don't go down the street. You want to be an overcomer? Don't go down the street. Don't go down there and say, God, deliver me. He gave you a chance to be delivered before you went down the street. Don't go down there and say, Lord, you're going to have to help me out of this mess. Don't get in the mess. You know, I believe in repentance to thank God for it, but it's one of those things that you're better off not having to need every day. And I repent every day, but it's not because I am involved in immorality or sin or wickedness. Amen. It's like the airbag on my car. I never want to see that thing again. Ever. Because the circumstance of the dictated is a car wreck. You don't want a car wreck. You don't want to have to go to the altar and beg God to forgive you. What you want to do is live in such a manner that you can go to the house of God and live holy hands without wrath and doubt and praise God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what you want. This man was a fool because he went down the street. If he had turned away, we wouldn't be reading this in the Bible. If, if he had turned away, he would not have gone like an ox to the slaughter. He would have found out that her house was the house, he would not have found out that her house was the way to hell and death. It wouldn't happen because he didn't go down there. Many years ago, and I'm about through, this is the most touching part of the story, so stay with me for just a couple of minutes, but I was about 19. Bakersfield Church, and can the Brother Frost, he was there, several years older than me, he probably remembers this better than me, but uh, I was there, and I fastened my eyes upon this attractive young girl in our church, and I wasn't the only one that thought she was cute, there's guys here that dated her too, we'll leave them anonymous, <laughs> just our little secret between me and Brother Abbott, but anyway... He hates for me to go down memory lane. I don't know why. I think it's funny. But anyway, I thought she was pretty. And she was. A very pretty girl. Very pretty. And I was 19 and just got a job. I bought a new car. You know, when when Leonard Westberg preached to me one time, he said, you know, when I was 19, there wasn't nothing I didn't know and there wasn't nobody I couldn't whip. He said, I, I got to 30 and I found out there were some folks I couldn't whip. And, there's some things I didn't know. He said, I'm 65 now. I can't whip nobody and I don't know nothing. <laughs> well, I was 19. That'll give you an idea as to my state of mind. I'm 66 now. There's only one I think of I whip around here. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> if I could catch it. Anyway, <laughs> I was 19. I saw this person. You know, that's that's fine. You know, we're not against that. We're not against the girls liking the boys and the boys liking the girls. That's the way it should be. We just want it under the control of the Holy Ghost. We want it under the control of the Bible. So, I called her up one night. Said, you want to go out go for a little drive? And she said, sure. So I went by and picked her up. We got out in my new car and She weighed about 500,000 pounds, maybe a million. She only looked like she weighed about 120, but that was deceptive. There was a density there you can't imagine. She weighed a million, maybe two, because the force field was overwhelming. Let me tell you how strong it was. Before we got to the first corner, she was sitting right up against me. That was on a console. That wasn't very comfortable. <laughs> of course, I did bring a small pillow with me, but they you know. don't. I should have. But you know, that's one of the days they preach chaperones. So you wouldn't get away with that today. Not in my church, you wouldn't. So anyway, we just drive down the road, and she's looking over me, smiling. I was looking over her, smiling. And we just had a big time. we pulled into the N.W. Root Beer stand on Chester, And uh, went in there, and we ordered those frosty mugs of root beer they used to have in those days. These kids today have been culturally deprived by modern things. It's a crime that they can't still order a frosty mug root beer. Man, they were delicious. And we sat there... She was smiling at me, and I was smiling at her, and we were having such a nice time. She was so pretty, and it was a beautiful day. Nice car, and I was young and feeling good. And I mean, I had the world on the tail; everything was going great. And I was looking over at her, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw some movement. You know how you have this peripheral vision. I'm looking at you and seeing my fingers move it right now. So we have this peripheral vision. And I saw some movement, and I looked over, and there was Brother Terry. And Brother Dick Smith. They wanted an icy mug of root beer, too, evidently. They? they were good. And I saw Brother Terry going. I said, move your arm. She, for the reasons of comfort, she had her arm up on the seat. move your arm. She said, what? I said, move your arm. She said, why? And I mean, and she looked over and she just pulled her arm down. <laughs> the next night I came to church, Brother Terry met me at the front door. He said, let's go to the office and talk. Really when Brother Terry took you to the office, she went to listen, about to talk. He did the talking. He said, I saw you with this girl last night. I said, yes, sir. He said, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're never dating her again, do you understand? And he had his reasons. And I didn't know all the reasons, at least at that time. But he, he felt like the best reason of all to obey him is because he told you to. And I was kind of under that impression too. And so he said, you're never dating her again. You he know, he understood the principle of the value of distance. He understood that the farther you get away from an attraction, the less it pulls on you. So he said, you never date her again. Matter of fact, when she walks down the middle aisle, you walk off to the side. I'd never want you to talk to her again. You understand? I said, yes, sir. He said, if you don't obey me in this, I'll disfellowship you. I'll do it tonight. Brother Terry didn't do a lot of bluffing, you know. His bluff was he didn't bluff. Do you think I'm joking about this disfellowship business, ask Johnny King. He can tell you about it. He got disfellowshipped one day. I was sitting there listening. Were you sitting there? He said, I'll disfellowship you. He wanted me to stay away. He wanted some distance. And you know what worked? I thought I was in love with that girl. Oh, God, I can't take a deep breath without thinking about it. I was 19. Did I mention that? I'm as dumb as you are if you're 19. <laughs> but I found out that the distance does not make the heart grow fun. After a while, she was gone. And it was somebody else, I'm sure. But he protected me. He didn't say quit liking this girl. He didn't say, you know, that... No, no, he learned the value of distance. You want to be an overcomer? And I'm about through. You want to live for God? Stay away from your weakness. Stay away from your weakness. Get it away from you. I don't care how weak you are. I don't care how strong the pull. If you get away from it, you're going to make it. If you'll get away, do you want to make it today? Do you want to hear well done? Do you want to stand before God in righteousness? Hear me today. I beg you. Listen to this. It's the most foolproof way of overcoming weakness and sin and temptation that there is. Just get away. Get away. We wouldn't be reading about this young man if he hadn't gone down that street. Got down there and he couldn't get away. And the attraction was too strong. He fell like an ox to the slaughter. And I don't want that to happen to you. I thank God that it didn't happen to me. It didn't because I had a pastor that said, "Stay away. Get away from that." You want to live for God? Would you stand with me tonight, today? I want God to help this group. I want to leave you with something that when you're gone from this camp and temptation comes your way, you remember this and say, I don't know how to get away. I don't know how to overcome this. I'll get away. I'll get away. Because this will work. It'll work every time. Amen. We need to learn to distance ourselves from evil. Amen. I want all our young people together up around the front. I want you to come down here, and I want you to pray that God will put this in your hearts. Because I don't care if your problem is drugs or immorality or ungodliness or Hollywood. I don't care what it is. If you'll practice this, you'll be an overcomer. You will be an overcomer. God tells us. That when we want to live for Him, when we want to be obedient, if we take certain steps, you know, He makes a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. I can't help myself. And then, yo, you're right. You Maybe you can't, but if you'll get away from it, you'll find out that the pull is so less than that, that now you can live for God. And that's what I want. I want you to be saved. I want these strong, handsome boys to be saved. I want them to grow up to be men, virtuous, strong leaders in the church. I want our beautiful girls to be strong and live for God. Be a help at home and a strength to the church. And you know how to do that? Stay away from sin. That girl at school that's caught your eye, don't sit down in the cafeteria next to her. Bring a sack lunch for a while. That boy at school or the, at work that keeps asking, yeah, you know, Brother Terry had a formula for keeping that from happening. He said, if some guy at work asks you out, what you do, girls, is throw your hands in there and start speaking in tongues. And he'll be gone when you open your eyes and he won't be back. <laughs> distance. Distance. If you flirt with him, if you talk to him, he'll be back. But if you get away, the will be over. You want to live for God? You want to hear well done? Amen. We need to pray that the Lord would put this in our hearts today. Pray with me pray with me that God would strengthen us, that we learn the value of staying away from wicked things. My God in your name, would you move on us, Jesus? Would you move on us, Jesus? Touch us, only one. Touch us, King. Move in this house today. Touch these young people. Help them, oh God, that they would allow themselves to learn the moral value of staying away from wicked things. Move, we pray. Well, more.